Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here as I speak. It is what? Oh, man, I don't even know what day it is. I've lost. Oh, Monday. (laughs) Monday, March 6, 2023. Uh, Here's a headline. This Saturday, Sun-Times, just give you a sense of what's going on in the world. Uh, really just was like, it's from 2023, but I thought I went back in time. I thought I went in a space capsule and went back in time to the 1990s when my distinguished guest was a point guard in high school. Uh, and I was considerably younger than I am today, but I was still following what's going on in the city of Chicago. Uh, and what brought me back in time were two articles in the Saturday Sun-Times. Sometimes the Saturday Sun-Times is like the most revealing newspaper of the week. Why? Because that's where they dump the stuff that they don't want you to know about. They dump that. Nobody reads it except for that old hippie in north side of Chicago. Nobody knows this stuff. So here you go. Daily CPS Dream Team reunites for runoff. It's a picture of Paul Vallis and Gary Chico. I'm like, oh, my God. It's 1996 all over again. I remember when they actually ran the schools, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Vallis, of course, uh, is running for mayor of the city of Chicago. And... Uh, I think most reporters that I know assume he's going to win. We'll see if my distinguished guest agrees with that point of view that most reporters seem to have. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, here's uh, Paul Vallis uh, talking some trash at the Chicago Teachers Union. This union leadership barely won re-election. This means there is a huge number of rank-and-file teachers who oppose the current leadership. I communicate to the rank and file, and when you're communicating to the rank and file directly, your message doesn't get misinterpreted. That's Paul Vallis speaking to the silent majority of school teachers. A little something out of the Richard Nixon playbook there. Uh, Then you turn the page a few more, and here you go, baby. (laughs) Here you go. Competition among LaSalle Street developers for $388 million in tax increment financing. That's where they raise your taxes. They raise your property taxes, divert it into a slush fund controlled by the mayor, which the mayor is pretty much free to spend wherever he or she wants. And who invented the slush fund? Mayor Richard uh, M. Daly with Paul Vallis at his side at the Revenue Department. Back in the 90s, 
and they're bringing it back. I guess they, I guess they kind of want to get quiet during COVID with the TIF slush fund because, you know, development kind of slowed up. But now they got a plan. They want to uh, convert some of the um, office buildings uh, on LaSalle Street uh, into residential buildings. And so there's uh, six teams of developers competing for $388 million in tax increment financing. Uh, and uh, it's a proposal that's uh, sort of s- slithering its way to approval during the last days of Lori Lightfoot's uh, administration uh, and will probably um, be at the top of the agenda should uh, Paul Vallis be victorious. Now, if Brandon Johnson is victorious, I wonder how it'll fare. Anyway, that Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest who's been patiently waiting to introduce herself so we could have a great conversation. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Oh, distinguished today, Stacey Davis-Gates, mother of three and um, history teacher, enjoying this moment because of the history that is being made, by the way, Um, and um, elected president of the Chicago Teachers Union. Yes, elected president. Uh, Paul Vallis does not have the authority to appoint uh, heads of the Chicago Teachers Union. Although there was a time in the 90s before Stacy got to town. Again, she was a young lass uh, in South Bend playing point guard. Forget the high school, Stacy. I apologize. It just, it'll come back to me. Don't tell me. Uh, and uh, where I thought it, it sort of looked like the head of the Chicago Teachers Union was appointed by the mayor. Uh, but uh, that was ancient history. <laughs> well, if they want to get the band back together, I'm sure they'll find someone if that's the band they want to put back together, but they got to beat us. And um, good luck. Or not. All right. Uh, so the us they have to beat uh, is Brandon Johnson uh, and his... Sub- no, they have to beat Chicago. They, they, you know, this is way bigger than a Brandon Johnson and a Chicago Teachers Union... See, this moment is not about a union, a leader, a candidate. Chicago is begging for some relief and some love, some revival, if you will. And um, Paul Vallis ain't it, because if it was it, he would have been elected governor. If it was it, he would have retired from one of his jobs as superintendent. If it was it, he would have won in 2019. But Chicago doesn't elect Republicans. And we know that. Right. You get uh, um, Mayor Washington um, at a time where people thought that they could resurrect a Republican and play race politics. We are not the same. Right. We are um, a multiracial coalition of people who need a Chicago to reflect the best in this city. And the best in this city is the solidarity that the city has, its ability to figure it out and its ability to keep it moving. And um, Paul Vallis brings that to a halt because not only is he a Republican, he raises taxes. Listen, in 2019, when Paul Vallis was running for mayor, he said that he was going to raise property taxes. Look at his plan now and see what's conspicuously silent and missing in the same type of language that was used in 2019. Listen, the city will need revenue and Paul will raise your taxes. You just went on a riff about tips again. You know that that is an artificial property tax that the schools don't even benefit from, right? And and so he wants that scheme again. He's talking about bonding things out so my grandchildren can pay for it. That's the same thing he did with the teacher's pension fund. 
Like Paul Vallis doesn't do this well. Ask the people in Philadelphia who were grappling with a $73 million budget deficit when he left. He is not, um, he is not the detail-oriented mathematician that he brings himself out as. See the $73 million hole. He is not the kind and compassionate um, leader. See uh, New Orleans, where he basically got rid of every worker in every neighborhood public school in New Orleans. Look, Katrina did the worst number on New Orleans, the worst number in New Orleans. And he doubled down on bad by making sure that everything was privatized. He wiped, he helped to finish the black middle class there as the lead of uh, New Orleans. If black children are in schools, it's typically with black educators, black administrators. You don't see that anymore in the places where Paul Vallis is. You know, we were talking um, here at the Chicago Teachers Union, a few of my teacher friends who are in love with Abbott Elementary School, just in love with it because it's literally written from the perspective that you have um, in a larger school district in a large city. Um, and what you watch on there is this encroachment of privatization, this constant fight for recognition of what your students need, this cynicism that develops in spaces like this. Paul Vallis gave Albert Elementary his plot line. He did with the privatization and with the budget cuts. Um, if you go back and you read the storyline attached to Abbott Elementary, you can trace that right back to Mr. Paul Vallis himself. Uh, by the way, I just want to push back a little bit on something that you said uh, when you were talking about Tevs. I'm sorry, I must go back to that. Uh, you said uh, uh, artificial property tax. Uh, I get the point I think that you're trying to make, but there's nothing artificial about a property tax hike when a TIF is implemented. Just so everybody knows it out there, it's very real. You pay for it. They just don't tell you you're paying for it. Uh, I, it's a secret property tax hike. Uh, and uh, you were definitely, absolutely, just so you know it, pay for it. And you're getting your tax bills right now. Stacey Davis-Gates knows that she lives in the city of Chicago. I assume your property owner, uh, our, that first uh, tax bill, first installment tax bill, I just got mine on Saturday. Uh, so those, those TIF tax are very, very real, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if, if you think they're not, you're fooling uh, yourself. All right, uh, Stacy. before we move on to the current round, discuss what's going on, uh, the Brandon Johnson versus Paul Vallis uh, showdown. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the legacy in your mind of Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, was not able to make it to the second round. Uh, your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot? Um. I wish her well in her future endeavors. That's it. That's it. Look, that that part of our shared history came to an end. And I wish her well in her future endeavors. Are you reaching out to her to uh, get her support for Brandon's campaign? Well, I run a union. I don't run a campaign. So that would be a question for his campaign. Um, I run the Chicago Teachers Union happily. You know, I remain humbled and blessed by this, you know, opportunity. And um, I'm not a campaign manager. Um, I'm not even a campaign strategist. I am an elected union leader. So um, here we are. 
You're also a pretty astute uh, historian of Chicago politics. I'll put it that way. Uh, so you must have some further observations about what went wrong uh, for Lori Lightfoot uh, that prevented her from moving on to a second term. A lot of things go wrong all the time in leadership. Leadership is one of the hardest things that any um, individual will endeavor to do. Um, the guidebooks that come along with, you know, these leadership seminars and so forth only get you so far. And so what I am learning in my capacity is how to structure your values um, with values of the organization and with the outcomes that the organization need that the organization needs to meet. That being said, that becomes complex. You got to have the right people working with you. You got to figure out um, systems. You have to figure out personalities. You have to understand um, the legacies of everything in the city. Look, you still have a South side and a West side of Chicago that is predominantly black in 2023. How, right? Redlining is illegal. Um, we are supposed to be a multiracial society. So there's something to um, the question of race in this city. Is there something to the question of race in this country? I'm not saying anything that people don't understand. The question becomes, how do you deal with the realities of our society as it is and then organize, administrate, partner, be in coalition with a wide array of people who can get it where it needs to be? Like being at our very basic level, I want the same things as anyone else wants. I want to raise my children in a neighborhood where they can ride their bikes and walk to a store. I want them to go to a school, um, preferably in my community, um, where they can walk, where they will be given um, the best type of academic challenge coupled with um, an opportunity to compete in athletics, an opportunity to participate and perfect it within the fine arts. Um, academic, you know, uh, teams and so forth. Like, we have to get to the point of where what connects us becomes the headline because we want those things. Everyone wants those things. It is race and class and gender and how it is manipulated and wielded that is difficult to transform. And we see that in Chicago in a large part. But I'm encouraged because I have a union of Chicago. My members live in all 50 wards. And they are multiracial. They are, you know, of different generations, right? And somehow this union finds solidarity. So I know it's possible because we do it here. You have to have a vision and you have to have a work ethic and you have to have humility and you have to provide grace in order for these things to move forward. You got to have a good plan, too, that you can put into action to get the desired outcomes that you need. 
that's what Chicago is going to need. We believe that Brandon Johnson can do that because we've seen him behave in that way. Again, you don't get tens of thousands of people to say the same thing because you're fighting with them or they're haters. You get those people in coalition because you are listening to them. You are practicing give and take because that's what you do in relationship with people. But you're also turning in your work on time. You are clarifying details. You are reworking drafts. Um, we're teachers, right? So whatever you hand in the first time is rarely good enough, right? Um, so you're working through that. You grew up in a household with an educator. You know what that's about. Um, so, and you're a writer. So I'm sure she had a red ink pen on you um, and, and, as she was grading your work or, or reviewing your homework before you even turned it in. Well, she didn't really read. You talk about my mother here. Uh, yes. Who, uh, Everybody knows this, uh, who listens to this show, uh, was taught at the public schools of Chicago for over 30 years and was a union delegate. I don't hide it. Proud of it. Went on about 10 strikes. Uh, and uh, her thing was when I would write a letter, uh, if I may, Stacey, go on this one, she would circle. <laughs> oh, my mother. She would circle. The <laughs> and when I come home from college, the letters would be circled with the <laughs> Ben, Benny, there's only, there's, I forget, I always get it mixed up. There's one N in coming, C-O-M-I-N-G, not C-O-M-M-I-N-G. I remember that one. Anyway, dear mom. Uh, all right, uh, enough of my mother. That's correcting my spelling errors. Uh, many people <laughs> corrected my spelling errors. I'm a terrible speller, Stacey Davis-Gates. All right. Well, you don't need it anything anymore. Everything is autocorrect. Well, you still. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, th don't listen to Stacey Davis Gates, lady. I still believe you should learn how to spell. But yeah, your points will take. Although my folks always turning it like what I want to write into something else. Neither here nor there. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk about uh, something that's been in my mind a lot lately uh, and, and having to do with uh, what would the schools be like if Paul Vallis were elected uh, mayor of city of Chicago. And uh, I uh, got a Shia Kapos was the one who broke this story about three weeks ago where she uh, had Paul's um, she cited an interview that Paul Vallis gave in 2021 with some right wing outfit uh, talking about uh, critical race theory. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing from memory, uh, that it was uh, destructive for white parents because their kids would rebel against them if uh they realize the true history of race relations in this country. Like they would have no respect for their parents. I'm not making this up, Stacey, is what the man said. And then I like the parent would say, eat, the, eat your broccoli, Billy. And Billy would say, no, I'm not going to eat my broccoli because you weren't there with Rosa Parks. I'm not making it up. I think that's the point he was making. And then she, I went and listened to the interview because she only posted that bit. Then there was the part about the black parents and how like it would be really destructive for the black family if they were taught the history of race relations in their country, because then the kid would have no respect for his parents because they didn't defy Jim Crow. Do you follow what I'm saying, Stacey? So they would have no respect. And one thing would lead to another. The kid would be committing crime. I'm not making this up. This is what the man said. So, uh, well, it's not just what he said. It's what he's done. Right. Um, Paul Vallis has a history. These are not just things that have come out of his mouth that he can, quote, apologize for. 
But what does he say about this privatization scheme that led to 50 school closures in Chicago? Paul Vallis reconstituted schools, which meant that he got rid of workers. And many of those workers were black and many of them were female. Um, he basically blamed black women for the failure of Chicago public schools, never mind the lack of resources, never mind the lack of staffing, never mind the lack of support, never mind the institutional generational neglect that we have seen on the west side and the south side of our city, right? He blamed those who were doing the best that they could with what they had, and he said, it's your fault. And he started this idea that um, Black women were to blame for the failures of Black children in our public school system. Um, if that isn't a Republican idea, I don't know which one is. Um, and beyond that, it's not just that he doesn't want to teach American history, because that's really what he's saying. He is saying that I don't want to teach American history. Don't get it twisted. Black people are American. We have fought in every single war in this country. We have uh, worked in every single industry. Our four um, mothers and fathers, they worked to make this, this entire country um, as strong as it is right now. Every great thing that has happened to America has been because of the interracial cooperation in this country, right? You see that. We know that. That is our history in this country, that we can get it right if we do it together. That is the history of this country. Why wouldn't he want to tell that heroic tale? Why wouldn't he want people to understand the resilience of this country, um, the fact that when it is more inclusive, it is more powerful. So I'm disappointed in that. Like I said, I'm a history teacher. I do not believe we should short shrift the, um, the good and the bad. Because when you fall down, you get to get back up and do it better. So, yeah, it was Jim Crow. And then it was also um, the Voting Rights Act. Um, it's also um, the Multiple Civil Rights Acts. It's also the Great Society. You see what I'm saying? You have to tell Jim Crow. You have to talk about Jim Crow because when you talk about the freedom budget that led to the Great Society, Bayard Rustin, Asa Philip Randolph, right? The freedom budget, which basically said that it is race and class. That influenced Lyndon Baines Johnson to say, look, we got to do both and we have to create the Great Society. And so then you have a president that leads from the front gets his Congress in shape, and he passes this legislation. You know what that legislation led to? It led to communities like Austin and Chatham, right? It led to communities where you have Black men and Black women who then became uh, workers at the county, at the city, at the state, in the schools, because they were publicly funded. And the Great Society said, if you want some of this money, you got to hire them to work. And so they got jobs and then they became homeowners, right? And then they started raising their children there. And then you had schools with families that um, could live there and, and, and could produce. So now you have, as a homeowner, now you have generational wealth, right? And that's because people were able to work together. That's because people were able to do it in an interracial manner as well. Paul Vallis is a lightning rod who 
says whatever he has to say to get whatever he needs to get. And that is deeply problematic. But people have to believe him. They have to believe him. They have to believe that he became a Republican when Barack Obama became president of these United States. They have to believe him when he says that I am going to close schools in this city on black children and I'm going to open up privatized options of schools in this city as well. You have to believe someone when they tell you that I have underfunded pensions and I intend to do that again. He's going to raise your property taxes. He is a Republican. And he doesn't believe our children should be taught American history. All right. Uh, So when I have the kind of conversation that you and I just had right now, when I have the kind of discourse that you and I just had right now uh, with my friends of the journalistic persuasion who tend to be uh, a little cynical, they would tell me, and I'm paraphrasing, Ben, nobody cares. Yeah, you're upset about what Paul Vallis said about uh, black history or American history or a critical race theory, but nobody cares about that. All people care about is crime. No one's going to vote on that. And then they like, see, I told you when uh, Jesse White endorsed uh, Paul Vallis, when Walter Burnett, Alderman Walter Burnett endorsed uh, Paul Vallis, they say, see, nobody cares about the things you care about, Ben. Uh, which is a typical reaction I get when I go through life in the city of Chicago. So, Stacy, do you believe that? Do you believe that all people care about uh, is policing in Chicago and that really only a handful of people like you and me care about things like curriculum in the public schools uh, and whether they teach American history? No, Paul Vallis has enough money to tell you what he wants you to think about because that's not what people think about, again, um, I live in a multiracial space. I work in a, well, I live in black Chicago. I work in a multiracial space. My children are in activities in a multiracial space. And so I want the same things that those families want for their children. Paul Vallis will try to boil this down to scary black man, right? That's, that's what he's doing. Like, let's call it for what it's worth. And he is praying that people will um, will accept that as an argument. No, that's not an argument. Paul, tell us what you did in Philadelphia. Why did you leave uh, Philadelphia public schools and a financial free-for-all? Free for Paul, why don't you want to teach American history? Paul, when you were in charge of the Chicago public schools, why didn't you want Planned Parenthood um, helping to unpack sex education? Um, Paul, you don't believe in my ability as a woman, all right, to make a, a, a health care choice for myself. Why, Paul? Those are the questions that you have to ask Paul very directly and then watch him figure out how to spin it. But then you but then I think journalists have to show the results of his work. It cannot just be what he says. What did he do? And what did the people that he worked with, because remember, he was ran out of Bridgeport because he did not have the credentials. He was ran out of Philadelphia because he left them in a lurch. He was, and then he landed in a place, and this is probably the most diabolical part of it. Paul Vallis landed in a place in New Orleans where people needed more than they ever needed in their lives. And he said, no, 
privatization, less of you and less of services. That is cruel. People have to be responsible and accountable for their work history before. That's what Paul needs to be responsible for. And why isn't it not ex-governor Paul Vallis? Why isn't it ex-mayor Paul Vallis? Why is it that he has never been elected to anything? Uh, the Bridgeport in question, uh, just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, is not the neighborhood of Bridgeport uh, where Paul Vallis, I think, has an apartment. Uh, but uh, I thought he lived in Payless. <laughs> I always get the Payloses mixed up, Stacey. I humbly apologize. You're a history teacher. You're going to get mad at me because my geography is not what it should be. So I'm not quite sure there's a Payloses Hills, there's a Payloses Heights. And I'm not quite, I don't know how you distinguish one or the other because a hill and a height are kind of the same thing. There's a lot of confusion I have when I come to the Payloses Hills. And I apologize to everybody from the Payloses Hills, Payloses Heights community. I have no idea where you are. I know you're out there somewhere. Because they don't want Paul either. What's that? <laughs> Because they don't want Paul either. <laughs> I'm sorry, Palos Hills. Anyway, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut uh, is the Bridgeport uh, that Stacey Davis-Gates was alluded to. All right. Uh, as long as you're on the topic of what journalists tell me, the other thing they tell me is that Brandon Johnson uh, will not win because he's too close to the Chicago Teachers Union. This is something I saw. Uh, I think it was Lynn Sweet put this in a column. Lynn Sweet of the Chicago Sun-Times. Man, the Sun-Times. Anyway, um, uh, it was something along the lines of Brandon got a pass in the first run around, uh, go around, excuse me, because uh, nobody directly asked him about the conflict between uh, the Chicago, his role as a organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union, a member of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, uh, and running with their support to be mayor, and then his role when he's mayor, and he would have to turn around and negotiate with them. Uh, what's your response to this kind of uh, rhetoric and uh, criticism? Brandon Johnson can't be the mayor of the Chicago Teachers Union. He has to be the mayor of the city of Chicago. The Chicago Teachers Union is a stakeholder, but one stakeholder in this entire city. Of course, he is not going to cater exclusively to the Chicago Teachers Union. He would be a ridiculous leader. And quite frankly, my members wouldn't want that. My members live in the city. They have more needs than just the need as... Um, a member of our union. They, they have a need as a homeowner. They have a need as um, women. You know, 80% of my members are women. They have needs as mothers. Um, they have needs as mothers that need activities um, that are accessible and affordable in their community. They have a need to feel safe and be safe in their communities. We have other needs. And so those are the needs that they're looking for him to address as well. Like we are a stakeholder in the city and we're not the only stakeholder in the city. And of course he should know that. He wouldn't have gotten our endorsement if he didn't know that. He wouldn't have gotten your endorsement if he didn't know what? If he didn't know that he had to govern the entire city. He has to govern the entire city. The Chicago Teachers Union is one stakeholder in the entire city. And look, I think Brandon says it better than anyone says, uh, Ben. He says that, um, and he says it all the time, he was one of 10, right? And then there was this fierce negotiation for everything in a family of 10. We can still be a part of Brandon's family. And that doesn't mean anything except for we're still a part of Brandon's family. Uh, he was one of 10. He grew up uh, in Elgin and his parents 
at least one of his parents uh, was a preacher or a minister. And I, he's been criticized for that. I'd love to get your thoughts about that. Mayor Lori Lightfoot near the end of the campaign would criticize him, make fun of, well, you know, he's a good peak speaker because he's the son of a, a preacher, I think is what she said. I, I, that's my memory of it. She may have said pastor. I don't, I don't know what to say about that other than, like, you spend all your time in church. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like, how do you respond to something like that? Like, that's what his father did. It was something that, I don't know, gives him foundation, gives him confidence, gives him the ability to move about this world with purpose and humility and grace. I think that's a wonderful thing. I, you know, I wish we could actually talk about the impact of policy instead of like just the things that make us feel better in terms of throwing punches. And I get throwing punches. You know, I'm not above that myself. And that's not how you get work done. You get work done by doing work. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have used that as a slur. And she did. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The impact of policies that's not what turns people in Chicago. And by the way, if you disagree with me, come, come back at me. But I, at the moment, the turnout in Chicago is roughly 34 to 35% uh, in, a, in a mayoral election. I, I, it's really difficult to get people in the city of Chicago to pay attention to policy. Well, because I don't think we're paying attention to what voters really want to talk about. You see what I'm saying? You get like the 30% ranges, 30 plus percent ranges, because you are talking about someone's father being a minister and then level levying that as if it was a slur. Perhaps the people of Chicago do want to talk about policy impacts, which is why they're not participating at high levels. Perhaps we should be running different um, experiments about what voters want to hear and what brings voters inside the process. That's perhaps that's what we should be doing. Um, and maybe we're misreading the apathy. Perhaps we're, it, people are not talking um, enough about what draws people into this milieu of politics. So what would you say are like the the policy issues that could really draw people uh, into the political discourse, get them excited about uh, voting for mayor. Uh, I don't think it's anything sexy, Ben. I don't. I still think it's jobs, uh, good paying jobs so you can have health care, provide for yourself and your family. I still think people need to be housed and not feel insecure in that housing space. I think people obviously want to be safe because that type of thing um, really and truly permeates everything. And then ultimately, I think people need schools to work for them. Listen, I go all over the city because we have schools all over the city. We have members all over the city. And the contrast um, in what is available in some of our schools versus what is available in other schools um, south of Roosevelt, that's a problem. It is a problem. Right now we're dealing with newcomers, right? Um, Abbott continues to be the jerk he is, and he sends people to Chicago as a political stunt, people who have um, experienced trauma, people who are looking for sanctuary, people who are quite frankly just human beings. And so how are we welcoming these people to our school communities? 
Well, many of them are in school communities that do not have any bilingual supports. And here's the thing, too. We think of these individuals as Spanish speakers. Some of them are not Spanish speakers. Some of them are speaking a more a, a tongue more native to the area um, that they left. So we are not equipped in this moment to do well with those who are coming in. Um, so m- my point is this. People want support. They want to know that their voice has permanence in the political discourse and that they have someone who's negotiating on their behalf. That's what people need. That comes in the form of jobs. That comes in the form of public education. That comes in the form of public safety. That comes in the form of our everyday interactions in life. And so the candidate, and and I believe it's Brandon Johnson, you know that, um, I believe that he is going to be that partner. Look, I get to be president of the Chicago Teachers Union because I had a good partner in Brandon Johnson. He was a coach. Sometimes he was a cheerleader. Sometimes he blocked. Sometimes he supported. You have someone who is willing. That's the first, that is the prerequisite. Is this individual willing to figure it out? The problems, the challenges in this city are complex. The dilemmas are difficult to manage, right? And the nuisance, right, that permeate many of our spaces are intolerable. So you have to have a person that brings a team to this, that is willing to try things, and that is willing to trust people on the ground, hear people who are in corporate spaces. Look, one of the things I keep hearing is, we can't have Chicago turn into Detroit. You sure can, because the public school system in Detroit suffered when Detroit suffered. You see what I'm saying? No one wants that. Most of all, educators who want their school communities fully resourced. We want a balanced ecosystem. Our ecosystem has been out of whack. Rahm Emanuel closed 50 schools at one time, and he threw everything out of whack in our space. Before he closed that 50 schools, people like Paul Vallis set up the gross instability, the gross underfunding, and, and, and the gratuitous privatization that led to those 50 school closings. Rom said, we don't have enough kids in the school building. Paul said, you're welcome. Paul said, you're welcome. No, there is a direct correlation uh, between the policies of the 90s uh, that uh, I wrote so much about in the 90s, the, 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 the economic development dollars, where they were spent and how they were spent, uh, and the decline in the black population in the city of Chicago. Uh, folks, if you don't believe me, just believe Alden Lowry over at WBEZ. Believe all the demographers uh, who have been writing about this for years. Believe Chris Kennedy, who ran, had a brief moment <laughs> of honesty when he blurted it out in the middle of the 2018 uh, gubernatorial campaign. So absolutely, there's a direct correlation, in my humble opinion, uh, to uh, these policies, as Stacy was saying. All right, Stacy, you mentioned that you go from school to school throughout the city, and yes, that is... Uh, uh, what you do as a president of the Chicago Teachers Union, you're constantly having to go to schools. And when you go to those schools, 
What's the response of the teachers you meet regarding the strong support that the teachers union is giving Brandon Johnson, not just uh, in terms of uh, encouragement and volunteers, but just campaign contributions? Are you getting negative feedback uh, from teachers that say you're going too far? Uh, we shouldn't even be be this involved in a mayoral campaign or most teachers in your humble opinion uh, going along with you on this? So I was just trying to, so this is unlike anything that we've experienced before, like literally unprecedented experience we're having now. Brandon Johnson is a middle school teacher. First off, anyone who signs up for middle school, God bless them. They should have you know, a first class ticket to heaven. You understand what I'm saying? And sit up on high with Jesus himself. I ain't lying to you because I have middle schoolers in my household. You understand? (laughs) So amen to them. I will tell you that. Amen to them. He's a middle school teacher. He understands everything that they understand about what's necessary And they are so proud that he is competent, that he is engaging, that he understands the stakes, and he can speak directly to the voter and what they need. Do you know how hard it is to get an A in the Chicago Teachers Union when the only people grading you are educators? That's number one. That man has gotten an A from our union members who are not blind followers of anything or anyone. Our members require the type of deliberation and engagement that is necessary to move them along to the point of what it feels like, Ben. You know, the close one, this is unprecedented. So it feels like it feels this thing. It's weird. It's fun. It's exciting. It's unbelievable. It's important. It's critical. It is um, it is life-saving for many of our members. You, you hear me? Paul Vallis is not, he doesn't build schools. He destroys them. They know that about him. So he is a threat to them, their livelihoods, their families, the whole nine. So they get that. But the excitement is palpable. The way in which we had nearly a thousand people out through all of our forces. Um, And that was an escalation, if you will, from election day in November when we were doing petitions, right? Getting signatures and getting out the vote for those like Delia Ramirez um, that was on the ballot then. I mean, Congresswoman Ramirez, who was on the ballot at that point. Um, What I will say is that they're excited. They are very excited. Look, our union is more complex than any other union, I think, that people understand popularly and that we have many layers to engage, include, and vote. And um, they take their responsibilities very seriously and they want to get it right. These people are excited. They are proud and they are pinching themselves, to be perfectly honest with you, Um Dude, I am so humbled to have um, this job. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about caring last week. Um, You know, the parallels are there. Oh, God, I'm getting emotional. 
um, the parallels are there. You know, 2015, 2014, before 15, you know, Karen was supposed to run. And, you know, um, the universe saw something different. But even before 2014 and 2015, you had 2013. Um I don't think people understand how traumatic this work has been for people who've led this work. Karen had to preside over a union with a mayor who closed 50 work sites. Just the bread and butter of that. Karen Lewis, daughter of Chicago, lifelong Southsider, daughter of educators, had to see educational opportunities being subtracted from Black people in this city. It leaves you breathless. But uh, the very next day, Karen Lewis got up at a press conference. It was at the Merchandise Mart. It was in our executive boardroom. Um, and she told the press, that mayoral control was a failed way of governing our schools. And because it was a failed way of governing our schools, that only going to board meetings, only going back and forth at the negotiating table was insufficient, that we needed to broaden our scope and we needed to take our ideas to the voters because of mayoral control. And so that's how we get this moment in part, is because Karen Lewis said there is another, there is another route, and perhaps if we add up all these routes together, the people of this city can have some agency in the decisions that are being made in this city. They can be on the front end of good policy and not dealing with the impact of bad policy. And so you see this moment, and you see a black woman. A fearless black woman. Remember, there's no model of social justice unionism yet. There's no common good bargaining yet. There is no like transformative black woman who takes up the cause of black people and their children as a labor leader. That doesn't exist yet. Not in the way she did it. Jackie was bad, though. I ain't taking nothing from Jackie. And Karen had to do it differently. And there was no model for that. And so you see this manifestation of how this is happening in this moment. People can call it power if they want to call it. I can't control their limited vocabulary. Um, what I'll call it is just unbelievable, deeply humbling. And it shows how visionary and iconic her leadership was um, for the city and how much she loved this city. Um, so that is emotional for me, you know, not as a union leader, but as a black girl who wanted to be around greatness. I, I got to like train under greatness. I got to watch her move around this space and look at Chicago now. Look at the movement that is expressing in this moment. It is multiracial. It is multigenerational. It's all corners of this city. God bless us for having this opportunity in this moment. And God bless us. Don't let us squander it either.
this is so much bigger than the Chicago Teachers Union until it is almost um, it is almost an insult to Chicago to boil it down to CTU. I love my union. I love the work that my union does. And it is so much bigger than that because the city needs so much. It needs so much love and attention and care and precision and decisiveness and clarity. Leadership. Uh, the Jackie that uh, Stacey Davis Gates alluded to was Jackie Vaughn, president of the Chicago Teachers Union in the 1980s and early 90s. She died of cancer. Uh, and uh, I, th- I forget when, in the mid, in the mid to early 90s. Uh, and she over- she was the president. I think there was like three or four strikes at least under her. Uh, it was very difficult times for public education in the 80s. Very difficult times for the Chicago Teachers Union. They once had a payless uh, work week. I will not go down that path and tell you the story of the 1980 strike. You don't want to hear it, I know. And, uh, but I'll move on from that. But that's who the Jackie was. Uh, all right. Uh, that uh, Stacy was alluding to. And the Karen, of course, is the great Karen Lewis. Uh, so, Stacy, uh, in that riff, you talked about what the Chicago Teachers Union has uh, become. And uh, I, I always get a kick out when I see it translated in the newspaper. It's always the powerful Chicago Teachers Union, which is a blessing and a curse to some degree. Uh, it's a blessing that, I, in my humble opinion, is me speaking, that teachers have power. Uh, I trust teachers more than I trust a lot of people. Again, I am biased. My mother was a teacher. Uh, and, uh, but the negative is that for a lot of people, it's a code word. And when they put powerful in front of teachers union, they're basically saying radical lefties have taken uh, seas of Chicago on uh, election night. When it was Brandon versus Paul, we became a parents, Brandon versus Paul. I saw the head of the Republican party on channel nine going on and on about radical lefties taking over there. And uh, everybody was nodding their heads. Nobody even challenged the Republican party. They have a Republican party in Chicago. I just thought they had a Republican candidate for mayor. Who, who, who's the Republican Party in Chicago? The people who voted for Paul? Uh, yes, definitely the people who voted for Paul. Uh, so what I would get, love your thoughts about the contrast with the way uh, the Fraternal Order of Police is viewed in the city of Chicago. Two unions, one the teachers, one the police. And I, I don't always, uh, I don't see the same, like the powerful Fraternal Order of Police. I, I mean, they, they get involved in campaigns. They're running a candidate too. Their candidate is uh, Paul Vallis. I just don't see the same concern uh, when it comes to discussing the political influence of the fraternal order of police. I've never seen that concern uh, in the city of Chicago. Well, I've been watching women. things for a long time. Because we're girls. We're girls. We are girls. I told you my union, look, we're 80% female in a society who has outlawed our ability to make decisions, medical decisions for our own bodies. It should not be a surprise that women are being attacked, and especially by Paul Vallis and his ilk. Paul Vallis does not believe in my right to choose. He doesn't. He just doesn't. And he hangs out with people who believe the same thing. 
And so why would, why, look, that is the narrative that is comfortable for a society that is driven into patriarchy. It is difficult for women in leadership. It is difficult for women in healthcare decisions. It is difficult for women in the workplace. It, you know, listen, our salary schedule is the one thing in this society and working in the working world where a man and a woman with the same experience and education, same credentials, make the same amount of money. We have a salary schedule. It has a step and a lane, a step for our years of experience and a lane for our level of education. And it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy, a man or a woman, you get what's there. You don't get that anywhere else in this world, right? That's why you can privatize schools and be happy with it. Because what they do if you don't have a union is that they take men in the room separately from the um, the, the women in the room and they negotiate um, based on who they're looking at. And we know that that type of negotiation lands black women with 60 cent on a dollar. So people like you being get to make a dollar and people like me get to make 60 cent. But if you have a union of women, you get to I get to make the same amount as you make based on our experience and our credentials. Isn't that wonderful, right? That example shows something in the world. People like Paul Ballas don't want that. And so he's gonna continue to push out a narrative that devalues the work of women, that devalues the healthcare of women, that puts women in a subservient space. That's not okay. So you think the fraternal order police gets a pass from the press uh, because they're mostly men? Most men get passes all the time. You you don't really want me to get started about boys, especially boys in politics, especially boys in labor, especially boys in sports, especially boys everywhere. Boys get a, this society. Come on. You've heard about the patriarchy somewhere along the way, haven't you? Yeah, the last time we talked. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> I heard about it the last time you were on the show. I said, so you want to be the kingmaker? And you go, oh. <laughs> Stacey Davis-Gates said, oh, that's the old patriarchy talking, Ben. I, I expected more from you. <laughs> Chided ch and chastised me, man. Sent me to the principal's office. I had to get a signed note to come back to get her back on the show. Uh, just kidding. I didn't have to get a signed note to get her back on the show. Uh, all right, let's close with uh, your thoughts on uh, the city council. I know you pay attention to the city council as well. Uh, the February elections uh, settled quite a few council seats. There's some runoffs going on, but uh, I sense a change, perhaps, maybe. I'm too, being too optimistic uh, with the city council. There'll definitely be more lefties there. Uh, well, yeah. it'll be more people who are principled and rooted in people. You know, look, grassroots organizing, the way in which we engage voters, the way in which we are engaging policy, that is about as, as American as you can get based on the values that people espouse about our country, right? And you see that. Look, I'm so proud of the way in which our city has transformed to make room for people like Angela Clay, who is running in the 46th Ward people like Lori Torres, 
um, a teacher, a world language teacher, a, a soccer mom, a swim mom. Um, I'm so happy to see her example on the doors in the community. These people matter. Um, they matter for how policy impacts real people on a, a, on a real time scale. And I am over the moon about people like Maria Hatton, um, Byron and Carlos and Rosanna, especially Rosanna. Look, if there is ever a woman in politics that has been painted unfairly, it is Rosanna. People take her empathy and her ability to see past um, the, the hard exteriors of this. And they think that they can try her strength. And that sister came through. You hear me? She came through with it. Um, Rosanna is not just an empathetic, compassionate woman. She is a strategist, a tactician, a leader, and she is clear. And to see her development and how dum-dums keep testing her, man, please, they better try somebody else because you keep losing with her. You know, the mail machine, they keep losing with her. And I don't know why they want to continue to do that rematch. I think the best thing that they can do is figure out how to understand her leadership, show some grace and humility, and figure out how to, how to work with her. All right. So uh, I don't know if I ever asked you about this. Uh, one of the uh, outfits that opposed... Uh, Rosanna. By the way, I don't. I'm not. I can't remember. Did you give a shout out to JT? Uh, she was also victorious in the 20th war. I don't even know why you would want to run against somebody like her. That one man went on a hunger strike. She is who she says she is for sure. Um, look at so many that you get to name now. Look at Chicago. Look at Karen Lewis' influence. You know, goodness. People t say a lot about Karen, but they do not give her credit for her visionary leadership, for her ability to usher in um, a, a transformation that gives people more, not less, more. All right. Uh, I was going to uh, when I was going to ask you this final question. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked you this one. So there's an I can, I literally cannot remember, and I humbly apologize. The name of the pack, they're Mayor Rahm's old cronies, uh, and they've been kicking in money for basically what I call centrist Democrats. But they have this distinction between workhorse and show horse, which I I have a field day with that one, Stacy, all the time. Like they, <laughs> in their mind, aldermen uh, and older women uh, are horses, uh, workhorses and show horses. <laughs> I don't know, like, I kind of an insult, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just saying, uh, if you take their money. A tiny uh, one. <laughs> they think aldermen are Mr. Ed and Mrs. Ed. That's a baby boomer reference that nobody got. Um, so, uh, Stacey, your thoughts on the notion uh, from the cent Rom Centrist that uh, aldermen and older women are horses, workhorses or show horses? Um, so I'm not going to participate in that. Um because some of you just don't call people animals, you don't like, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna participate in that. What I will say is that Chicago needs so much more than this constant battle. The, the one thing that I needed during the pandemic as a leader, as a mother, as a human being was 
coalition work partnership. We were staring down something that we've never like stared down in our life. People were dying. People were panicked. It was just, it was traumatic. And what I understand now better than anything is that this city is going to need a whole bunch of people in every single industry, in every single neighborhood to help revive our city. This idea that you can have yours over here or we can have ours over here is a detriment and a threat to the health of this city and to the future of our children. Their future is compromised if we continue to miss the moment. Paul Vallis had plenty of moments in the 90s. Let Paul Vallis go ahead on and retire and leave people alone and figure out how to give us an individual who will help us, lead us into a prominence that we have not had previously. Listen, it's not good. It isn't. That's where the apathy comes from as well. It's not good. We need more and we need more people doing the work. The city needs a revival. It does. And it needs a leader who knows how to work with people. I don't care what comes before your name or what comes after your name. I don't care if you're punching in or writing the checks. Everyone needs a seat at that table because if we don't build a big enough table, if we don't respect the voices around that table, we are going to, we are, look, Ron DeSantis is for real. Donald Trump is for real. Chicago needs to be in a position to lead this country and to show them that it is a better way with Brandon. Look at that. You, you, they can put me in a commercial. <laughs> a better way with Brandon. All right. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, <laughs> Stacey Davis-Gates should be in the advertising industry. All right, Stacey, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk with me. Uh, and uh, LaSalle. It just came to me. LaSalle High School. <laughs> you don't forget anything, class of 95. Listen, it took me a while. I just couldn't. I blanked at first. Like, I know she was a point guard at some That's high school. That's when Paul Ballas was getting his start and messing up CPS was in 1995. Uh, you graduated in June of 1995, which was just after you're correct, or maybe just before. I have to look. Uh, Paul Ballas. After. After. It was just after. Okay, I'll take your word on that one. Uh, Paul Vallis took charge of the Chicago Public Schools. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, and I'm reliving the 90s. Uh, and I urge everybody, uh, if you got some free time in your hand, check out the interview I did with Stacy back in 20... Oh, my goodness. Uh, 20. Wow. We talked about her days as a high school ball player uh, and her love for Michael Jeffrey Jordan. We were doing that in conjunction with... Um, uh, the last dance. She was one of the six people I interviewed. I'm very proud of those interviews. So I urge everybody, if you got some time, check them out. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates, Craig Hodges, Steve James, uh, really uh, Kevin Blackstone. Shout out to my old friend Kevin Blackstone. 
Uh, anyway, uh, I can go on and on about that, my beloved basketball. All right, Stacy, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate your listeners. Let's get us a better Chicago with Brandon. That's Stacey Davis-Gates. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 